as you come into the league, you have to find out where do you fit in, how do you fit in. And my my first um, remembrance of getting on the court was Scotty Brooks and myself being on the floor, just wrecking havoc on the court, picking up the other team, teams guys 94 feet, playing playing defense and playing off each other. And then as you move 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 along there, you start getting comfortable with your role. You start understanding the league more. You start understanding players. You know, you, you take pride in what you're doing. Um, and once I got the opportunity, I was really not trying to let it go. That was Doug West. And this is Wolves Plus. What a feed, Ricky to Carl Anthony Towns for the dunk. Russell shows off the handle and the shot. Over making things happen. Oh, yes, he is. Oh, Shazo Kogi. May the force be with you. Coast to coast for Obi-Wan Okogi. Doug, it's, it's really nice to be able to just get some time to kind of catch up with you and see where life has taken you since your time with the Timberwolves. You have the distinction, and there aren't a whole lot that were original members of the Minnesota Timberwolves. And not just original, but draft picks of the original Minnesota Timberwolves franchise. So when you were taken in 1989 in the second round, what are you thinking when a team that has not existed in the NBA just drafted you? Uh, my first thought was, where is Minnesota? <laughs> I, 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 uh, I was definitely shocked by it. Um, you know, I had done some um, workouts with some teams. Minnesota was not one of the teams. Um, and when I fell to Minnesota, um, you know, I was, you know, ecstatic to be drafted. Um, but again, brand new team, uh, knew nothing about it, um, had never been to the Midwest. Um, and then... Here I am uh, coming to Minnesota to be part of uh, an inaugural uh, organization. So it was it was a, a great time. Where were you during that draft? It, the actual draft was in New York City. Where were you? Um, I was in Philadelphia, um, you know, it was around with my with my college teammates and, and coaches at that time. Um, and, you know, at one point I thought I, I may get drafted in the first round, uh, late in the first round. And when that didn't happen, yeah, a little disappointing. Um, but again, like I said, I was I was fortunate enough to get drafted. Um, spent time with, with those people um, when it happened. Uh, we celebrated, enjoyed it, and uh, history from there. Yeah. And as you join the Timberwolves, you also join head coach Bill Musselman, who is known to be um, energetic and competitive and intense. And I'm just wondering what practices were like, what pregame speeches were like. What do you remember about Coach Musselman? Well, the, fun, the first thing before I even talk about Coach Musselman is the other day I'm watching TV and Eric, his son, um, he's become yeah. this, this great coach at Arkansas, great following um, on social media. And I was watching him on TV do a, do a show on SEC Network. And I swear to you, it was like watching his father. I, I, I sat <laughs> there and watched it. Just the intensity, the intensity that Eric brings, the way he's passionate about the game, the way he, he, he challenges his players, it's the same way Bill was doing with us, but they were pro players. Um, you know, Bill had his, his, his ways about him. Um, you know, practices, they, they were never really, really long. They were really about execution. Um, he had a group of guys that came in that first year that he was comfortable with, that he had won um, in the CBA. So 
he was he felt comfortable with those guys. He allowed those guys to do a lot. You know, as a rookie, I, I basically came in. I learned what was going on. I learned about the league somewhat. I was able to put on some weight um, because I sat on the bench so long that first year. But, um, you know, it was it was a great experience, you know. And then as we progressed uh, through there, you know, the second year, Coach Musselman brought me in and said, I'm going to give you an opportunity to play. And um, from that point on, um, I just I just took the opportunities and ran with you're playing home games at that time at the Metrodome, like 40,000 plus fans in a big stadium with a lot of open air. What was the atmosphere like at the Metrodome for basketball games? The atmosphere was, was actually amazing. Um, I, I can remember playing the Lakers um, in the Metrodome and, and, that, and there was probably more than 40,000 in there during that game. Um, and there was just so many people up close but then you would look in the stands and further away you would see these little dots and you just couldn't believe that people would want to sit that far away to watch a basketball game but they did i mean it was great support from the fans that i'm in minnesota uh, the whole time that, that we were playing there and this was before the days of the 90 foot jumbotron screen i wonder what they could even see yeah i don't I, actually i don't know how those people saw they must have brought binoculars uh, you know, they were they were probably true Viking fans, so they, they had the binoculars and, and they, they knew how to get about it. Sure, sure. The, nowadays, when we see arenas, a lot of times part of the wonderful thing that that fans experience is they're right there. They can they can hear the squeak of the shoes and the sweat might hit them if you're in the first 10 rows. But the fans at the Metrodome, that was a, a good distance, even for the, the ones that had decent seats. Do you remember if there was a lot of interaction with players and fans or if it felt like they're just kind of out there for you guys? I thought, you know, if this is, uh, I mean, you're, you're really testing my, my memory today. Um, but <laughs> I, I, I thought they were, there were fans on the floor at the Metrodome. I, I'm, for sure. I'm not yeah. positive, yeah. but I think across from the bench, they, they did have those, those same fans that are on the floor. Um, you know, the, the arenas now are, are bigger, um, but, you know, they, they, there is, well, there was before COVID, there was more interaction. Um, you know, with the players and, and whatnot. And those were always good. I mean, you know, it was always good to have interaction with the fans, especially when you went on the road, because uh, for sure those fans hated you um, and, and, they, and they let it be known. How about practices at the old Northwest 98th Street Club in Bloomington? <laughs> wow. Uh, those, I remember, you know, it's, you know, it gets uh, just a little cold in Minnesota. Um, I can remember practicing at 98th Street and the door would be frozen. Um, the back door, the back door that was on the court, there would be ice um, coming through the bottom of that of that door. And, uh, you know, it was it, you, you thought nothing of it. You know, once once you're there, you live there, um, you know, even though I wasn't used to that cold of weather coming there, I, I grew up in, in the east. Um, so it, it, it's cold, um, you know, but you adjusted to it, uh, you know. To a point, it was a, an advantage for us. Um, we figured that, you know, teams would come in and they didn't want to be in that cold. And uh, we would, you know, hopefully get a victory. Yeah. Do you remember if you guys drove your individual cars or maybe just a couple of you together? Or did you bus regularly? Or how did you get? Because the Metrodome's downtown and now you're going to Bloomington for practices. Yeah, if, I'm not mistaken. We drove. Um, you know, once you're, um, you know, in the league, uh, it's your <laughs> your job to get to work. Uh, you know, though, you know, they get you, you know, get you a hotel or whatever until that time is done. Um, you know, I'm sure the guys that came in that were free agents or trying out for the team, there was a shuttle for them from a hotel or, or, or whatever. Mm, sure. But for the most part, you know, as as 
you get into the season and everything, you know, they expect you to get out of the hotel, find a place to live and you know, it's your job to get to practice. As you went on a couple of years in your career with Minnesota, we get to like 91, 92, and then you become a regular starter with the Timberwolves and you started averaging 14 points per game that season. What was it about your game that just kind of needed to take the steps to get to that point where you're now not only a regular contributor, but a regular in the starting lineup? Like where did you need to grow to get to that point? Well, I think I think I, I was I had great uh, not great like I had very yeah, I, I would say great college coaching, um, and then as you as you come into the league, you have to f- find out where do you fit in, how do you fit in, and my my first um, remembrance of getting on the court was Scotty Brooks and myself being on the floor just wrecking havoc on the court, picking up the other team teams guys ninety four feet playing playing defense. And playing off each other, and then as you move 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 along there, you start getting comfortable with your role. You start understanding the league more. You start understanding players. Mm-hmm. You know, you you take pride in what you're doing. Um, and once I got the opportunity, I was really not trying to let it go. <laughs> you know, so once I got a chance to play, it's about doing what you can to stay on the court. Yeah, interesting. You should mention Scott Brooks now coach of the Wizards, because he he's often, he brings it up, just his, something will trigger a memory about playing in Minnesota, and he is, speaks very fondly of of his time with the Timberwolves. He didn't mention the, the frozen door at the old uh, 98th Street Club. Um, the 91-92 season, the Gatorade Slam Dunk Championship. Doug West, he's going to do something fine here. Looking jam from Doug West through some boos and ahs. Fans are getting so used to seeing such incredible dunks in the competition, it's difficult to impress them. Yeah, you really become spoiled. I mean, this guy, look what he does. He wraps the ball, he changes it to the other hand, his head is up by the rim, a 180 dunk, and it's like, ooh, okay. And it's two hands. <laughs> right. He's up there, you're right. That year, part of the All-Star Weekend, that year was in Orlando. You were part of it. I was watching some of the footage from last night, your cradle reverse dunk and some of those. Was that uh, a memory and a weekend, a day, an exhibition, whatever, however you look at it, something that really stands out to you is you you competed in the NBA Slam Dunk Championship. That's a big deal. Yeah, it was it was a big deal. And um, it was uh, I didn't I didn't prepare for it correctly. Um, you know, going into that. Um, I was a game dunker. Um, you know, it was more about dunking on someone in a game. Um, as far as going out there and trying to put put a show on and doing some some other things, you know, I, I don't think I prepared for it for it correctly. However, I didn't think I. I mean, I thought I should have been up in there a little a little longer. Yeah. But you know, it is what it is. It was it was a great experience. Um, you know, to to say that you had the opportunity to to participate in in that. Um, you know, I wouldn't give it away for the world. Um, it was, it was a, a fun time. Um, just unfortunate for me because I think I was picked by a lot of the players to win. Um, but I didn't, um, Cedric Sabalas came through with the yeah. blindfolded, uh, dunk, uh, you know, great dunker himself. And, uh, it was history. Yeah. It was Cedric and Larry Johnson in the finals, but yeah, the blindfold was the one that won it. But when you said you didn't prepare for it, Maybe in hindsight, that's how you look at it. When you went in, though, did you sort of have a, I'm going to do this, then this one, then this one? Did you at least have it mapped out, the dunks you were going to do? Yeah, I mean, I had maps, I mean, dunks mapped out because, you know, 
growing up and doing, you know, some clinics and stuff, there was always that part of a clinic where the kids wanted you to dunk. So you would do different dunks. So, you know, that, that, that was something that I, that I, I knew I could, that I could do, but you know, there's, there's a lot that goes into preparing for, for a contest like that. You know, you know, especially nowadays, these guys script everything, you know, it's, it's, oh, it's yeah. done a certain way. And I never went in, into or after practice every day, you know, practicing these dunks, you know, I, I didn't, okay. I really didn't think um, that I was, wasn't going to win. Um, so when it got down to it and I, I went with my first two dunks and I got my scores and I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'm done. Um, <laughs> you know, it wasn't, it didn't last that long. So unfortunately I didn't win. Um, but, it, but like I said, it was a great opportunity. All you were missing was a gimmick. I think that's, that's when the gimmicks started coming in. Now we've got cars on the floor and mascots on the court and the blindfold was like the, the start of the gimmick. So maybe that's all you were missing out on. It wasn't your dunks. I guess the gimmicks was it. I, like I said, I didn't prepare for it. No gimmicks. Wow. You would never <laughs> have known because it was impressive. With Thank how you. high you were getting. It was still impressive. Um, in the 95-96 season, you were 28 years old. There's a kid coming out of high school named Kevin Garnett. With the fifth pick in the 1995 NBA draft, the Minnesota Timberwolves select Kevin Garnett from Farragut Academy in Chicago. He had just turned 19. You're a pro, you're 28. What are you thinking about a high school kid for the first time in 20 years jumping into the NBA? Do you remember the initial thoughts of the team like, okay, here comes this guy? Yeah, my initial thought was, Kevin McHale, what did you just do? What, I mean, what did you just do? I mean, we are losing. We're not, you know, this is just who we are. We're not, we're not there yet. And we're going to draft a kid from high school. And then Kevin came in and made life miserable for all of us at practice because, <laughs> oh. uh, you know, the energy that he played with. Top the circle, working on Urban Johnson. Baseline pass, Garnett is there, drives and jams with no regard for human life. Um, you know, the length of his body, um, him being able to defend multiple positions, uh, the things that he was able to do on the basketball court. I had, you know, in my days, and at 28 years old, had never seen anything like that. You know, here, here's a kid who didn't want to be known as seven foot. He always said 6'11". 6'11", um, yeah. Who could shoot the ball, could handle the ball, could pass the ball. He was just a basketball player that I was unfamiliar with. And as we progressed through the season, I mean, he started off slow, but you could see that he was really paid attention to his craft um, after practices, um, spending multiple hours after practice working on his craft. I can recall one trip that we went on to Dallas. I think we were watching the Super Bowl at Spud Webb's house and Kevin disappears. And we're like, where, where did, where did Rook go? So we look out in the driveway. He's out in the driveway with the neighborhood kids playing basketball. Oh, um, right. So that's, that's who Kevin Garnett was, was back then. Basketball junkie. Basketball junkie and very good one. And once you realize that he's legit and that this is a good draft pick and the kid can play basketball, being almost 10 years older than him, he's still two years away from being able to have a beer in a bar legally. Was there any sort of 
fatherly protection or like, hey, let me let me show you some ropes of just like life, not even basketball, but this is how you this is how you live. This is how you do laundry and live on the road. And just do you remember any of those kinds of things of trying to help this kid? Um, I will be honest that Kevin and I really didn't have a lot of conversations like that. Um, you know, I think back then, Kevin, Kevin, Sam Mitchell had had picked up Kevin and, and Sam became Kevin's Kevin's confidant. And, you know, Sam and Kevin, you know, they created a great relationship. Um, I think uh, Sam was a little older than all of us um, at that point uh, when he actually, I think he might have come back. So he was a little older than all of us. But even when he was a rookie, when we first started in 89, I think he was 27. So, um, like I said, he had kids. He he was that fatherly figure. Um, so Kevin, Kevin, you know, he 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 made his way towards Sam, and they 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 created a a, a great uh, friendship. Um, you know, on the court, um, you know, you could talk to Kevin about anything. Um, you know, but again, he played with such intensity that he was he was trying to will his intensity on all of us, which which was which was good. Yeah, and that intensity was part of his career. I mean, there's no doubt. That's that's the word for it too. That's his DNA. You're right about that. In um, in 1995, you would break Tony Campbell's team scoring record. 4,888 points was the mark. Um, KG would later break that of yours. But at the time, for you to be a guy that the Timberwolves drafted, the first time this team even existed, for you to sort of be on top of that pedestal for some time, do you remember the significance of what that meant to you to ascend to that spot for this team? Um, it was it was actually a, a, a uh, something I never thought of, something I never thought would happen. But when it happened, you know, I was I was proud of that. Um, you know, it was showed that I had put the work in, that I had got the opportunity to contribute, to play on a team, and to be and to be part of a team um, where I was I was doing something positive. You know, as far as scoring points. However, we still weren't winning games. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. It's about winning games. Um, yeah. And, you know, things were getting better, uh, but we just, we, just weren't, we just weren't that consistent winner yet. I want to ask you about a memory that I hope you have. It is not a basketball game. It is the 96-97 season. So according to a, a friend of mine who was a producer for Timberwolves basketball, his name is Skip Kruger. Mm -hmm. You showed up to media day in 96 and you had your head shaved, which you do now. But at that time, it wasn't an everyday look for you. You had your head shaved. And Skip Kruger, producer of Timberwolves Basketball, asked you about why'd you shave your head? And you said you were going to keep it only until the team won 30 games. And he said something like, oh, all year, huh? And you were sort of offended by it. You were like, hey, I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> And fast forward to about March-ish of that season, the team wins 27, 28, 29. After win number 30, you dragged Skip Kruger after the game. To half court. Back on the half court, <laughs> and you shaved his head. I remember that. I, I do remember that, yes. And he was, he was a great, he was a great uh, person for allowing that to happen. I mean, you know, we talked about, made a bet, and uh, I can remember that, that, uh, just like you said, I can remember it happening. I can remember him going out to the court and, and shaving his head. Yes, it was it was a great time. 
as he remembers it too, it was right in front of the radio broadcast, which Kevin Harlan was doing at that time. And he picks up on it. He starts doing play-by-play. -play. He's probably doing a post-game show. So now he's calling you shaving Skip's head at center court at Target Center. Yes, and and it was it was it was, it was fun times. Uh, you know, we we got that that monkey off our back, get over the thirty the thirty game hurdle. Um, and you know, like I said, Skip was a true sport by by allowing that to happen in front of people. Um, and then he had to wear it like that. And then the let me, I'm not a barber, to shave his head. So, <laughs> like, and, but it's Where'd not that hard. You just cutting it off, really. So it's not that difficult. Where'd you get this razor? They had or clippers. Someone, someone had the clippers in the back room. So it was, you know, maybe one of my teammates might have had it. You know, because guys like to, you know, make make sure they look good before they got in the court. So yeah. <laughs> Well, an update for you, Skip Kruger's hair to this day looks exactly like yours. Oh, see, he, he, he just fell with it. He just, he just kept going with it. Huh? He liked the ball. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's fine. I'm glad you remember that because he had emailed me that story and I thought, well, well that's, that's a classic. That's yes, a classic. I remember that. I definitely yeah. remember that, yes. Cool. You were then, as your time went on with the Timberwolves, the last original wolf to stay on the roster and then in 98 traded to Vancouver where you'd play three more seasons and then retire. Do you remember getting to the point of knowing the end is probably near, but trying to figure out that fine line of knowing when you're comfortable to say, okay, I'm done. It's time. Yeah. Well, I, I broke my foot um, in the 90. 99 season, right? It was a lockout season. I think it was 99. I think I broke, I broke my foot, um, had surgery, came back that next year, um, to camp and everything. Uh, you know, and I played, um, but then I, I got plantar fasciitis pretty bad. And, uh, they do, they do this treatment called lithotripsy in Canada, which is how they break, supposedly how they break up kidney stones with this, uh, with this machine. And they put that machine on my foot to break up this scar tissue in my, and right then I said, this is, this is crazy. Um, and, you know, I kept playing and I, and I, and I, and I tried, I wanted to play some more, but my body was just telling me, you know, enough's yeah. enough. Um, you know, at the time I was married, you know, my, my wife at the time, enough's enough. Um, so, you know, it's not like uh, nowadays these guys are just playing forever. Um, so uh, I decided to, to hang them up and, and get into coaching. Yeah. So um, before we get to that part of your life, I just want to um, ask about your NBA career, which ended with 6,477 points, over 1,600 rebounds, over 1,200 assists. Those are significant NBA numbers and i'm just wondering if as you put it into perspective and you think of your your career and what you accomplished as an nba player just what it all means to you and how what your sense of pride is in having done that well i'm, I'm very proud to have played you know 12 years in the nba um made a lot of friends uh you know traveled to some some great places um you know, played in some some great games against some some of the greatest players, some of the top 50 players of all time. Um, and it's an honor to have worn an NBA uniform and to have had that logo part of my life for, for, for 12 years. Um, you know, it's something that uh, we, we dream about um, coming up. Um, they always say, you know, hopefully you can get that second contract. I was able to get three. So, 
you know, it's, it, it was it was a good time. Um, something that, uh, you know, I, I'll never take for granted. Um, it really takes a lot of work. Uh, a lot of people don't understand how much work uh, professional athletes really put in um, to their craft. Um, you know, they think they did it. They just show up and everything just happens like it does. But there's a lot of a lot of blood, sweat and tears put into those into those moments. And, uh, you know, it's something that we, we all cherish and it's something that we look forward to. And when it's over, I mean, you just have to find the next thing. Yeah, that's not not easy for a lot of people. For you, finding the next thing, though, you mentioned was coaching. Some high school coaching, some women's college basketball, men's college basketball, D-League, which I found so interesting that the 2012-2013 season in particular, when you joined, it's now the G-League, but the D-League then, the Rio Grande Valley Vipers, head coach Nick Nurse, who is now the head coach of the Toronto Raptors, you guys won the D-League championship that season. You were on Nick Nurse's staff. That had to be a bit of a ride. Even funnier than that, Gerson, who is the man, what's he, the vice yes. president? The president? Yes. He yeah. is the first person who gave me a job. He interviewed me um, to be on that staff. <laughs> yes. So Gerson, I know Ger, we go all the way back. We had an interview in, in New Jersey. He sat there, interviewed me for about an hour. And then I met with Nick. He interviewed me, whole room of people. Um, didn't think I was going to get the job. Um, I got the job. And I had, I had probably the greatest seven months, um, six, seven months, however long that lasts, uh, working under Nick Nurse. Um, great basketball mind. Um, showed me a lot, uh, you know, taught me a lot at that level. And, uh, you know, we're, we still keep in touch to today. Um, you know, spoke to him a few days ago about something that I'm that I'm looking to put in for one of my teams. So uh, really? You know, oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I just I, I just felt that I, I was fortunate to have um, some very good coaches that had great basketball minds. Flip Saunders being the first. Um, I thought uh, Flip's mind and his his creativity on the course on the court was just amazing. Um, I still have Philip's playbook, um, you know, uh, Jay Wright um, at Villanova, coached with him for five years, mm -hmm. um, another uh, great guy. And then I went from Jay to Nick, and Nick was just laid back. You know, he plays about 20 different instruments, um, but on the court, um, straight to it, never, never gets upset, really. You know, you might have seen some faces of him in some games when they made some calls, but low-key level level guy and it was just a great opportunity working with you said you still have flip saunders playbook is this a playbook you open often or look at or take things from still to this day it's digital and i can still open it up um i have it it's on my computer um i can open it up and look back at some sets because everyone nowadays they they pretty much to a certain point at, at the levels that i coach at they run the same stuff that they've been doing if you're able to throw some mba sets in there um, you know, these people are looking like, where did that come from? You know, and there's, you know, that's actually that playbook that I'm, that I have of flips was when he was the coach of the wizards actually, because he came and spoke at a, at a, at a, uh, basketball clinic at Villanova when I was working there. And he shared that playbook with me, um, during lunch and I still have it. That's pretty cool. Especially when you can tell your team, Hey, that play. That's from Flip. Oh, I never tell anyone That's where they come from. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, scratch that part. <laughs> we, all, we all steal stuff from everyone, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> 
That I do know. Your your job now is with uh, the Westtown School, a private college prep school in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Yes, a girls basketball team. Yes. Yeah, yes. we are a girls basketball program that uh, we started last year. Um, and I mean, the program has been there, but they decided they wanted to move forward um, more into high level um, basketball players. And uh, myself and another guy by the name of Fran Burbage, who coached Elena Deladon, um, okay. who coached um, Brianna Stewart, um, who, you know, he and I had done some work together. Um, the job was offered to him. He called me to see if I would come coach with him. And it was a no brainer. Um, at the time I was um, back in my hometown of Altoona, Pennsylvania, I was the head boys basketball coach there. And it was time for me, it was time for another, another change. Um, and getting back into girls basketball was, was, was the right thing. And it's a game day for you today. It is a game day for me. Yep. Yes. It's uh, we are able to play this year, um, get some games in, you know, you know, unfortunately the kids have to wear masks, uh, play, play with their mask on yep, uh, with masks. Um, you know, so it's, but it's different from state to state across the bridge in New Jersey, the coaches wear masks, the players don't. So it's, you know, it depends on where you are. You said that you had not been back to Minnesota either. You figured, do you think it's been about 10 years since it's you've been, been about 10? Yeah. About yeah. 10, eight to 10 years for sure. Yes. And you were scheduled to come late last year, late last season, before the season got upended in the middle of March. How much were you looking forward to being able to stroll through Target Center again and just be part of a, a Timberwolves atmosphere? Actually, I was really excited about it. Um, you know, I, th I think that John and uh, Courtney um, have done a great mm -hmm. job of getting the alumni back involved. Um, you know, I live in Philadelphia, so I'm around the Sixers organization or here a little bit. I see, you know, their players are back in the area. I see a lot of players that are now doing stuff with their with their former teams. So it, it was it was good to, to see that the Timberwolves were, were starting to, to get down that go down that path and start reaching out to, to former players. Um, so the opportunity was to come out last April. Um, I was supposed to spend a few days out there. I was definitely looking forward to it. Um, and then COVID-19. Um, yeah. It happened. And, uh, you know, Courtney called me up and said, oh, guess we're not doing this. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I hope that they reschedule you and anyone else who was supposed to come because it's so nice to see the guys come through there because they come out to center court at one of the timeouts. Their picture is up on the, the big screen. We hear the name, they give a wave and the buzz around the arena of people going, oh, hey, there's Doug West. It's 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 a heartwarming feeling and it's a reconnection of the fans to the player because players like you meant a lot to this team, to this franchise and to this fan base. So I hope you get a chance to reconnect whenever the opportunity pre presents itself, because I know Minnesotans and Timberwolves fans would love to see you again and be be able to just give you a wave and a, let, let you, you know, know how much you meant to them. Oh, yeah, it would be awesome. Um, and the opportunity arises, I would, I would definitely take 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 that opportunity to come. Last thing I want to ask you about, Doug, is just when I was doing some research to kind of get caught up on who you are and where you are and what you've been up to, your Twitter profile is a photo of you in your Timberwolves number five, that classic dark blue uniform. And I thought that your time with the Timberwolves must be significant enough to you personally that that is one of the, the things that you wanted to put out there and be like that. There's some pride involved there. What? 
what did your years representing this franchise mean to you? Oh, it meant a lot. Um, like I like I said earlier, just being a part of the NBA family, um, of the Players Association, the fraternity. Um, you know, um, having played in Minnesota, it's where I got my start um, in, in the NBA, and you know, didn't end the way I wanted it to. But you know, as as you get older, you you realize things happen, things change. You know, I was a little young, little immature back then. Um, so, you, you know, you, you reflect back on it and you and you realize that, you know, yeah, Villanova is what got it all started. And if you notice on that page, Villanova's in the background. Yeah, yeah. that's the, yeah, yeah, that's it's, it's, back, it's yeah. the big, it's the background. But but the but the Timberwolves is, you know, who I where I really became, you know, Doug West, uh, you know, the, yeah. the, the former NBA player or the NBA player. And, um, you know, I'm proud of it. Uh, you know, I like I said, didn't end the way I wanted it to. But hey. Things happen, and uh, we just keep moving forward. Well, I know I speak for a lot of Timberwolves fans when I say it's really nice to just see your face again and see what you're up to, kind of get caught up, and uh, to say thank you for what you did for this franchise. And good luck in your game tonight, Coach. Well, thank you. Thank you. We need it. We always need, we always need some good luck. So I Take appreciate care, that. Thank Take you. care.